Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, February the 18th. In this week's podcast, we're discussing the business of antibiotic prescribing in general practice in England. This is particularly topical in the middle of winter in the Northern Hemisphere with people coughing and spluttering all over the place and a lot of people asking for antibiotics when they go and visit their primary care physician. But as we know, not just in England, but globally, the overprescription of antibiotics is leading to severe antibiotic resistance, one of the most challenging health problems of our time. But in this podcast, we're discussing a paper that is looking very much at prescribing behaviour of primary care physicians in England. Here's our guest interviewee introducing himself. Michael Hallsworth, I'm the Director of Health at the Behavioural Insights Team, also known as the Nudge Unit. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're one of the authors of a paper which is looking at the very topical issue and it's a perennial issue but it's very much an important topic at the moment concerning the prescribing of antibiotics in primary care in England. I think the most important thing to say is whilst this is a global problem certainly within primary care in England this is something you're looking at very specifically. Can you give us some context here? What is the background? What do we know about variations in prescribing of antibiotics in primary care in England? The first thing to say about antibiotics stewardship is that there's a national strategy and um, there's a lot of focus in that national strategy on primary care for a few different reasons. First, uh, primary care does account for a large proportion of antibiotic prescriptions. There is evidence that the extent to which antibiotics are prescribed in general practice is related to antimicrobial resistance and we do know that there is a large amount of variation between practices, which implies that there is scope to improve how different GPs are using antibiotics. To give you some context for our study, it was really prompted by the realization that a lot of the data on antibiotic prescribing is now publicly available. It's been put online by the Health and Social Care Information Center for the last couple of years. And this got us thinking because there is evidence from uh, other studies and from the behavioral science literature that feeding back information on decisions is a powerful way to influence those decisions. In particular, there's evidence around um, social norm effects. So if you are told that you are in some way um, an outlier or you're behaving significantly different from people who are in the same situation to you, then that leads you to change your behavior accordingly. What we've done is we've simply taken that publicly available data and try to feed back to GPs when they are perhaps outliers um, in their prescribing and give them some specific and simple actions that they could take to uh, change their prescribing to avoid unnecessary use of antibiotics. Can you just spell out the specific aims of, of this randomized trial? Clearly, it's a, very much an information intervention, as you've just described. How did you put this trial together, just briefly? What we did was we wanted to conduct a randomized control trial of this feedback because you have to start from the position that GPs get a lot of information all the time. The NHS or Public Health England or the Department of Health write to GPs a lot, trying to perhaps influence behavior or to get a particular outcome. But it's not very often that those communications are evaluated. And we thought this was a good opportunity to actually see what, what influence would this communication have on behavior. So we ran a randomized trial. We identified practices who were in the top 
as prescribing rates for their local area. And we controlled for differences in the patient population. So in other words, all things remain equal. You know, these are the high prescribers for the same kind of patient you know, in terms of age and gender. We randomized within that top 20% for half the group to get a letter from the chief medical officer for England, which told them that they were in the top 20% for prescribing. That was the first stage of the trial. The second stage added that by, by trying a different route. Public Health England were already intending to send out some marketing materials in late 2014 to coincide with Antimicrobial Awareness Day. We said, well, why don't you randomize the issuing of, of that material? We incorporated it into the trial by re-randomizing our sample. So we now have four groups, people who got both the letter from the chief medical officer and the materials like posters and, and so on later, people who got neither of those things and the combination of both, getting the letter, not getting the materials, not getting the letter, getting the materials. And then we just looked to see how did prescribing rates vary between those groups. And we infer from that what impact the letter or the marketing materials had on GP prescribing. Let's talk about those results. Spell them out for us. The top line from this is that, let's take the letter first. That was the first thing sent out. With the letter, we see that the group that got the letter had a lower prescribing rate for antibiotics than the group that didn't. The difference in relative terms was 3.3%. So we could infer from this that we reduced the prescribing rate by 3.3%. And that's over six months. We tracked it for six months. And at that point, we actually issued the letter to the control group as well. And we did this because there was a convincing case that this had led to an improvement and therefore we didn't want to leave it any longer without also getting that improvement for the control group who got no letter. To put this in context, this improvement is equal to a 0.85% reduction in England's overall prescribing rate. I should clarify, if the control group had been treated as well. I'm trying to give you a sense of the magnitude of, of the effect. So if both groups had been treated, we, the, the overall effect would have been nearly a percentage reduction in... In prescribing in as a result of the letter from the chief medical officer. That's right. Put some different numbers on this. The letter we calculated reduced prescribing by about 75,000 antibiotic items, so 75,000 fewer prescriptions were issued. And we can also calculate a direct prescription cost saving of around £90,000. That was not what we were aiming for, particularly. You know, cost was not the main driver, but it was worth noticing. Now, there may be other costs that were incurred elsewhere, so we were being quite careful that only the cost of the prescriptions that was, that was altered. What about the effect of the marketing literature? The posters and the feedback to patients. What we found is that there was no significant effect from that intervention over the six-month period. We couldn't detect a difference, which is an interesting result because it goes to show that it's not just that any intervention makes a difference here. It's not just a novelty effect, in other words. It appears that some types of interventions work and some don't appear to work as well. A letter has more potency because it's presumably more personal. They probably weren't personalised letters, were they? They were personalised, yes. They were sent to the individual doctor. The main message in them was, was literally the great majority of practices in, and then we put in the 
uh, name of the local area, so it was personalized in that respect. Practices in your local area prescribe fewer antibiotics per head than yours. So there was an element of personalization there. I should point out that there was only one letter issued, so we can't be sure what part of that letter was having the impact. Now, that's something that it would be good to examine in the future. We wanted to try just to see if there was any effect from the letter, because it is not certain that there would have been. It is not always easy to influence practitioners through a simple communication like a letter. Thank you. So those are the top-line findings, that there was some effectiveness of the letter causing a nearly 1% reduction in antibiotic prescribing compared with no effect for the marketing literature. In terms of the absolute numbers, I mean, you've got a result here, but it's not going to shake the world, is it, in terms of antibiotic prescribing? It's helpful, this result, but, it, but, but it's only part of a bigger picture, isn't it? So a few things to bear in mind here. One is this was a very cheap intervention using public or available data, which, in fact, anyone could use. Yes, it should be combined with other things, but it's also very scalable. It can be used at a large level across the country compared to some other interventions to produce antibiotic prescribing, which are very intensive, um, quite dependent on local circumstances and so on. So it should be put in context. Also, it should be put in context that, you know, the, the NHS is establishing a, a quality premium, which is multi-million pound incentive structure to achieve roughly the same impact that we achieve through this trial for around £3,000 to £4,000. But yes, you're right, there is a need to go further. We need to understand how feedback on prescribing can be used more widely. This is the kind of approach that could be used for various different kinds of prescribing. You know, maybe statins have been talked about, for example, antipsychotics and so on. I would see the wider lesson from this is feedback on prescribing can work. And indeed, feedback on other kinds of, of practitioner behaviours could also work. And we increasingly have this data available. If we can find exactly the right way to feed it back at exactly the right time, this could be a powerful complement to other wider, more intensive and expensive ways of improving health system efficiency and health outcomes. So what is your priority now for ongoing research in this field? Clearly, this randomized trial has identified the value of an intervention such as a letter from the chief medical officer. Where does your research go next? This was just a starting point. There are many ways in which this can be made more sophisticated and more uh, accurate. Uh, we've already run a follow-up study uh, which uh, also looks at trends in prescribing rather than just being in the top 20%. But I think the obvious um, thing to do is to use the, the power of visual representations and data analysis to give a much more nuanced and clear picture to people of, of what's going on with prescribing. With that in mind, I think it's worth people, for example, looking at the openprescribing.net site that Ben Goldacre and colleagues are creating at Oxford University, which tries to do this. It tries to take sort of the next generation. That's an initiative with which we'll be uh, collaborating in the future. There's a lot more to be done here. This is just a starting point, a proof of concept that we can make a difference to prescribing. Well, I appreciate your time. That's Michael Hallsworth. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you.